Good morning. I'm sorry I couldn't be there in person this morning. I, I threw my back out yesterday. I think it was from standing outside too long. Um, it's pretty painful right now to stand or to walk, so I appreciate your patience with me. And just big kudos to uh, Nicholas and Amanda who just came in at the last minute and made it possible for you to watch this uh, sermon this morning. Uh, so the Sunday is Palm Sunday. Uh, on Palm Sunday, we remember and celebrate Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Um, it begins what's commonly referred to as Holy Week, leading up to Maundy Thursday, uh, Good Friday, and then finally Easter. Uh, if you've grown up in the church, you're probably familiar with the uh, Palm Sunday story. The story of Jesus processing into Jerusalem on a, on a donkey. Um, but have you ever wondered why the donkey? Like, why not a horse? Um, when we think of a donkey, you know, we tend to think of qualities like not very smart or stubborn or maybe even a little silly looking. We don't tend to think of words like royal or majestic. Um, but it may surprise you to discover that donkeys and mules in ancient times and in the Bible were a symbol of kingship uh, and peace. So mules are slightly different from donkeys in that they're a crossbreed between a female horse and a male donkey. So both were used in near ancient, um, near Eastern, near, sorry, ancient Near Eastern royal ceremonies. So for example, uh, you remember when David anointed his son, Solomon, uh, to be king, it's in 1 Kings 1, we see Solomon riding <clears throat> Um, on his father David's mule. Um, so there's a connection between kingship uh, and donkeys and mules. So donkeys were also a symbol of peace because you'd never ride a donkey uh, into battle or war, right? If you rode a donkey into battle, you'd be at a distinct disadvantage. Uh, soldiers rode horses into battle, usually specially trained war horses. Right? They're taller, they're stronger, they're faster than donkeys. You ride a donkey uh, when you don't expect to go into battle. You ride donkeys when you don't need speed to escape or, or to run away. Um, you can just go on a gentle, slow ride. So donkeys were associated with peace. So I want us to take a look at a prophecy from the Old Testament book of Zechariah. It's Zechariah chapter 9, verses 9 and 10. It says, Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious. Yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. I will remove the battle chariots from Israel and the war horses from Jerusalem. I will destroy all the weapons used in battle, and your king will bring peace to the nations. His realm will stretch from sea to sea and from the Euphrates River to the ends of the earth. So both of these themes I'm talking about, uh, both kingship and peace, are referenced in this messianic prophecy. We see the promise of a future king who will come and bring peace to Israel. The context speaks to Israel triumphing over its enemies. However, notice that this king of peace will not only judge the enemies of Israel, but will also judge Israel itself. 
Um, he will remove the battle chariots from Israel and the war horses from Jerusalem. Israel's own military weapons will be destroyed, not just those of Israel's enemies. So this future king of peace brings peace that's comprehensive, right? Not just peace by overcoming enemies, but peace by getting rid of all weapons of war, even Israel's own weapons. So this is the backdrop of Jesus' entry into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. Um, we see Jesus is the fulfillment of this messianic prophecy from Zechariah. Um, he is that king of peace, riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. So we'll talk more about that donkey in a bit, but I want to point out something uh, first. Biblical scholars tend to believe that there were actually two processions happening that day, or at least right around that same time. Um, Jesus was processing in from the east, riding a donkey, proclaiming the kingdom of God, and the other procession was coming in from the west. The other procession was an imperial procession with the Roman governor Pontius Pilate at the head of the Calvary. So that procession probably included horses and drums and soldiers, weapons, and a whole lot of noise and dust. It was a demonstration of Roman imperial power. Why would a Roman army be processing in during Passover? Um, because Passover wasn't just a highly religious time for the Jews, it was also a time for nationalistic zeal. Um, because Jewish passions for liberation from Rome um, would have been running high during Passover. Why? Um, because the Passover feast, of course, is a remembrance of God's liberation and deliverance of Israel from slavery, right, to Egypt. So, uh, when they celebrate the Passover meal, the Jews are reminded of how God delivered them from the oppression of the Egyptian empire. So it's easy to see how the remembrance uh, of what God has done in the past can stir up hope for deliverance from the oppression uh, from the Roman empire. And so that's why extra military troops were often called into Jerusalem during Passover, right, to keep the peace. And so this is how Rome keeps the peace, um, the so-called Pax Romana, um, the peace of Rome. So the ancient Roman Empire used military force um, to subdue, to threaten, um, and if necessary, to overwhelm and destroy its enemies. Um, that is how they kept the peace. And when you think about it, uh, this isn't just, you know, the way peace is kept in ancient Rome, right? We keep peace in the same way. Um, it's a peace that comes from control, comes from violence, um, or at least the threat of violence. The world's way of peace is a peace that comes on war horses. Um, so imagine that procession, uh, this demonstration of imperial power, cavalry on horses, foot soldiers, leather armor, Helmets, weapons, there would have been like golden eagles mounted on poles. Um, all of this would have been a slap in the face to the Jews, just reminding them of their subjugation. So what was also on display in that parade was not just Roman imperial power, but Roman imperial theology. 
Roman emperors were considered to be divine. Caesar Augustus, you remember, he was the Caesar at the time of Jesus's birth. Um, he had even referred to himself as the son of God. And so Rome, Rome had no issue with most religions, but this, this new one, Christianity, um, insisted that there was only one God, and it certainly wasn't the Roman emperor. So on the very day Pilate is processing into Jerusalem um, with these golden eagles of Rome, demonstrating Rome's authority, here comes Jesus riding into the city uh, exactly as the prophet Zechariah had predicted. Um, it was a direct challenge to Roman power and Roman authority. So contrast th that parade of Roman soldiers on war horses displaying power and might with Jesus's parade, right? So a parade of joyful people who are singing, they're shouting Hosanna, they're waving palm branches, um, they're laying down their garments before the king as he rides in on a symbol of his kingship and the peace that he would bring, a lowly, humble donkey. So I called my message this morning, Lessons from the Donkey, because I think there are some things we can learn from this lowly animal uh, that Jesus chose for this momentous occasion. Um, so the first lesson is this. Like the donkey, we are chosen. We are chosen. So in our scripture today, we see that Jesus sent his disciples into the village to get this donkey. Um, and they found her exactly where Jesus said she would be. How do I know it's a her? Um, because she had her foal with her, right? Her little baby donkey. Zechariah 9, verse 9 in the NIV says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So the donkey, of course, uh, wasn't there by coincidence or chance. Um, this was a divine appointment. Uh, out of all the donkeys in the village, uh, God had chosen this one. He chose this donkey and her foal to be at that particular place, at that particular time, to be found by the disciples. And so the same is true for us. Like the donkey, uh, we are chosen by God and have been put in this particular place at this particular time for a divine reason. Jesus says in John chapter 15, verse 16, you didn't choose me, I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. So all that donkey did on that particular day over 2,000 years ago was just be available to be used by God. I think we can come up with a lot of reasons why God can't use us. You know, we think we're, we think we're too old or too young or too busy or maybe we don't have the right education or we put it off till later. Like when we have more, we think we'll have more time, we think we'll have more money or whatever. I'll do, I'll do it after I do this or I'll do it after I do that. Um, here's an anonymous quote I found. 
If God can use a stinky little donkey in the triumphant fulfillment of his plan, then just maybe he's got a plan for me too. So the second lesson we can learn from the donkey is that like the donkey, we are needed. Why did Jesus need a donkey? He needed a donkey to fulfill a messianic prophecy, right? The, the prophecy in Zechariah. The donkey was needed to fulfill what had been written 500 years prior. This is one of the ways Jesus fulfilled the prophecies and demonstrated that he really was and is the Messiah, right? So here's the question. In this day and age, does God really need you and me to achieve his perfect plan in the world? No, but he wants to use us. We get to be used by him. One of the reasons God uses us is for our own benefit. Uh, when God uses us, we see his grace. We see how much he loves us. And we begin to open our eyes to the potential of what he can do in and through us. And as a result, our faith is strengthened because we see God moving in and through us personally, right? It's no longer someone else's testimony, but it's our very own personal experience of God in our lives. And it's times like these we can look back on that can encourage us, right? When we're facing uh, times of discouragement and disappointment. Uh, but more importantly, we get the joy of being used by God to make an eternal impact in people's lives, to do the very thing we were created to do. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the th good things he planned for us long ago. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 and 11 says, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. Then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. So the third lesson we can learn from the donkey is that like the donkey, we need to be under his control, under Jesus's control. So when you're riding a horse or a donkey, uh, you want the animal to go in the direction you want to go. You want the animal to match the speed you want to go. You don't want the, if we don't have that animal under control, it can do serious harm, right? To us, to someone else, uh, even to itself. So the same is true for us. Too often we think we know better, we want to do things in our own timing, on our own schedule, at our own speed. We get impatient, and before we know it, we're no longer under his control. Um, so I try to take off a week each year uh, and pray and read and seek the Lord. Uh, sometimes I'll go to a city and hang out in coffee shops just kind of walk, um, pray, read. Um, sometimes I've gone to this one Benedictine monastery uh, that's about 40 minutes outside of Kansas City, hang out with the monks and pray and read. Um, so about five years ago, uh, I was on one of these retreats and I went to St. Louis. 
Um, I like that area over by the by the zoo and the art museums. I forget what it's called, but that you can walk through the woods there and um, pray. Um, it's, and it's really pretty there. So while I was there on that retreat in St. Louis, I took a break uh, and I went to the gym to, to work out. It must have been Planet Fitness because at, at the time that's where I had my membership. So it was interesting though. So I'm sitting there at Planet Fitness in between sets and I see this elderly man in a wheelchair with a service dog. Um, he's wheeling very slowly from one equipment to another. And the dog, I think, I think it was a golden retriever, um, was so patient. Like he matched the pace of his master, like never moving more than a step ahead, never falling more than a step behind. Uh, and when his master was working out, he just sat there, just smiling and waiting very, very patiently. And in that moment, like I sensed God saying, this was, a, this is a lesson for me. Um, that not only do I need to be like that service dog with him, um, but I need to be like that in general with people. Um, it reminded me a bit of the lessons um, Henry Nouwen, he's one of my favorite authors, Henry Nouwen, uh, one of the lessons he learned as he went from nearly two decades of teaching at Harvard and Yale um, to spending the last decade of his life working with people with intellectual and developmental disabilities. Um, Nouwen said that in that last decade of his life, when he was working with these people, he found a purpose in life that he had been missing. Um, one of the people Nouwen bonded with the most was a guy named Adam Arnett, um, who had profound developmental disabilities. This is what Nouwen said about his relationship with Adam. He said, it is not I, or I'm sorry, he said, it is I, not Adam, who gets the main benefit from our friendship. So when we're under the master's control, never moving more than a step ahead, never falling more than a step behind, um, he can use us in some beautiful expressions of kingdom love that before we would have missed. So the fourth lesson we can learn from the donkey is that like the donkey, we need to carry Jesus. The donkey carried Jesus on the road into Jerusalem through multitudes of people. Same is true for us. We want to carry Jesus in our lives wherever we go, um, in our homes, in our workplace, in the, out in the community. Um, it is easy to fall into the habit of leaving Jesus at church or leaving Jesus at small group or leaving Jesus in our devotion time. Right? But do we bring Jesus with us wherever we go? I'm not necessarily saying like you have to go stand on the street corner and preach. Um, unless Jesus tells you to do that, then you probably should do that. Um, but that strategy for reaching the unchurched uh, has become less effective these days. Um, what's more effective is do we have unchurched friends who see Christ in us? Do we love on the lost, last, and the least well? Do we bring the love of Christ to these people? 
Um, so like the donkey, we're supposed to carry Jesus to a multitude of people. And multitude means, right, a lot of people. So your friends, your family members, your co-workers, your waiter, the, the person who cuts your hair, right? And even to the ends of the earth. That prophecy from Zechariah says that his realm will stretch from sea to sea and from the Euphrates River to the ends of the earth. So like the donkey, we're supposed to carry Jesus to a multitude of people. Okay, the fifth lesson we can learn from the donkey is that like the donkey, we need to be humble. Um, when we read this story, we see that the donkey simply disappears after the event. Um, that donkey is no longer mentioned again. And that's the attitude we should have uh, when we serve the Lord. The, the donkey simply did what she was told. No drama, no need for recognition. The donkey did her task and then she moved on. Um, it's the lesson God was teaching me in that service dog. It's the lesson Henry Nouwen learned in working with his disabled friend, Adam. Um, it's the attitude of John the Baptist when he was talking to his disciples about Jesus. He said, he must become greater and greater and I must become less and less. Okay, one final point. It's interesting, right after Jesus enters Jerusalem on a donkey, he clears the temple. It's the end of our scripture this morning. It says, Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out all the people buying and selling animals for sacrifice. He knocked over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. He said to them, the scriptures declare, my temple will be called a house of prayer, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. The blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. So Jesus brings peace by beginning first at home. After his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, right, the first thing Jesus did wasn't to condemn the Romans. He didn't curse Israel's enemies. Instead, he cleansed Israel's temple, the heart of Jewish worship, the very center of Jewish identity. He pronounced judgment not on Israel's enemies, but on Israel's own failings, their own hypocrisy. And he drove out all the people buying and selling animals for sacrifice, right? The money changers. Why? Because not only were they being dishonest in their money changing, right? Calls them a den of thieves. They were making it hard for the lost, the last, and the least to meet with God. Right, That outer court where the money changers are um, was the only place where these people, right, the lost, the last, and the least, could approach God in his temple. How do we know this is the case? Because the very next verse, after Jesus throws the money changers out, says, the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. God hates it when we either knowingly or unknowingly, prevent the lost, the last, and the least from seeking after him. Um, we live in a world right now that needs Jesus more than ever. Uh, we need the peace that only Jesus can bring. 
But Jesus' way of peace is very different from the world's. Jesus' way of peace starts with cleansing out the temple, which is our own heart. It comes through removing idols, comes through repentance, it comes through humility. It comes through the lessons that we learn from Jesus' donkey, right? We're chosen, we're needed, we need to be under his control, we need to carry Jesus, and we need to be humble. Why? So that those who are far away from Jesus, those who are hurt, those who are broken, those who are marginalized, those who are suffering, those who are addicted, those who are disabled, those who are caught in cycles of poverty, of addiction, incarceration, those people can come to Jesus. The blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, thank you for making a way of peace for us. Um, thank you, Jesus, for coming to die on the cross and to rise from the tomb to bring peace, reconciling us to you and reconciling us to each other. Thank you that you are in control and that we can find our peace in you. We know that no matter what happens to us, no matter what happens in the world, um, because you love us, because you died for us, um, and because we belong to you, body and soul, in life and in death for eternity, um, you are Lord and we have hope in you. Um, help us, Lord, to be like that donkey so we can humbly carry you, your love, and your good news of the gospel to the ends of the earth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.